Good morning. Uh, great to see you. Thanks for being here. If we haven't met, I'm Rachel, and I'm part of the team here. I'm always at the 11, and I pop up all over the place, but I'm always at the 11 because it's my favourite service. You're my favourite people. Um, I'm going to ask you a question because today I'm talking about how we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And I want to ask a question. I want to say, who do you think influences you most, or what do you think influences you most? We live in a world where there's so many influences around us all the time. What do you think influences you most? You don't have to shout out, just have, just have a little think. I think we are the result of lots of things. And last week, if you were here at the 11, Claire Thompson was talking about our family of origin and how we sort of grew up in a particular family. And, and we are, some of us are the result of that, whether that was good or bad or indifferent, but we are, um, have been influenced by that. We're influenced by our experiences in life, the good things, the really difficult things, the hard things that have happened to us, the trauma, the, you know, the relationship breakdown, the great experiences, you know, the promotions and stuff like that, but those things will shape us. But also, we are hugely shaped by the culture that we live in hugely and a lot of the time we kind of aren't so aware of that it's kind of um subtle insipid it's kind of it's kind of a bit nebulous it's hard to kind of grab hold of it if you know what I mean but we are really massively all of us shaped by the culture in which we live and what we're doing this morning is we're thinking about how we are citizens of the kingdom of God living in a culture that is sometimes really against the values of the kingdom of God, sometimes for the values of the kingdom of God. It's not all bad and all wrong. But how do we navigate living in that, living in this, but being part of God's kingdom? So that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to hopefully answer that question and give you some tools. Brilliant verse from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. I just wanted to start off with. It's going to come up on the screen. It says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Basically, what the Apostle Paul is saying in that verse is, yes, we are a result of all sorts of things in our lives, our family, our culture, our experiences, but actually the defining thing about who we are is that we are a new creation when we begin to follow Jesus. And we have the power of God living within us to transform us to become more like Jesus. Good news, huh? Yeah. Good news, huh? Yay! Just think if you're awake. I know you are. Um, Cool. But before we kind of go there, I want to just kind of throw out some things that I have observed about our culture. This is not a kind of really deep and impressive um, diagnosis of our culture. This is just some things that, as I was sitting down thinking, okay, so what culture am I living in? Are my kids living in? you know, my church living in us. And I just came up with a few, a few things. The influence of social media and the internet in our pocket, on our smartphones, is absolutely huge. And I think we underestimate it a lot of the time. I underestimate it a lot of the time. Because we have a constant stream of information and misinformation coming at us 24-7 for the moment we wake up. I'm not going to ask you how many of you reach for your phone as soon as you wake up. Because, quite frankly, I don't think you'd be honest. But, you know, so many of us use our phones, our alarm clock, we reach, we turn it off, oh, just check this, check that, check the emails, Instagram, Facebook, blah, blah. And um, 
I think we are constantly being bombarded by false and negative images of what beauty is, what success is, how we should um, spend our money, what we should be doing in our houses and with our money and our holidays and all that sort of stuff. It's coming at us constantly all the time. Apparently, a survey last year <coughs> was done in the US and the average American spends two hours and 28 minutes a day on social media. Do you believe that? Yeah, I do. And I think we're probably not far behind. And uh, but two and a half hours on social media, golly, that's a lot, isn't it? I, um, I have a, a time limit on my Instagram account. I've got to admit it, I do love a bit of Instagram. I do. Um, it's my favourite social media. I don't really go on Facebook, but Instagram I do. And I've got 20 minutes a day. But I tell you, my, my time is wrong because I think it's only about three minutes. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It goes so quick, doesn't it? I'm like... It can't be 20 minutes. I said, surely it's like two and a half seconds. So the reality is that is a massive influence on our life. Second thing, advertising constantly bombards us. We are getting adverts coming on social media, the TV, on our streaming things that we watch, Netflix, Amazon, all that sort of stuff, billboards, magazines, everywhere you go, we are being constantly bombarded by images of what life should be like, what we should be doing, what will make us successful, happy, beautiful, slimmer, taller, better teeth curly hair, straight hair, you know, that stuff comes at us all the time. That's got to influence us. That really has, really does influence us. There's a massive mental health crisis in our culture. Many of us know that personally because our mental health is a struggle. Many of us know it because our friends, our colleagues, the people we love are struggling too. COVID was a massive sort of, what was it? What was COVID? <laughs> Pan global pandemic landed in the middle of it all, and that has made it really hard for us to navigate our mental health, and, we're, and we're, you know, we're reaping the benefits of that. Benefits? No, not the benefits, the effects. Thank you, Louis. The effects of that. Now, sexual freedom dominates our society. We are more sexually free. That is a kind of a weird way of saying it, because it kind of counts out each other, but than ever before. And yet... There is more sexual violence, there is abuse, there is, you know, we have, oh, I don't want to go into it all, but, you know, terrible things happen even in our city with trafficking, exploitation for sex. We think we're free, but really we're not. And that is the this water we are swimming in and is coming out of 24-7. Gender and identity debates, you know, the debates we're having now about gender and identity 30 years ago, we'd not even, we wouldn't even imagine that we'd be having those debates. And actually, the debates are often punctuated by really you know, council culture, um, lack of kindness, a lack of dignity, a lack of empathy. Um, and you know, we see that in social media, we see it in the government, we see it in parliament, we see it you know, in, in our own debates. And it's, it's hard to navigate, isn't it? And that is the culture we're in. We have, just to top it all, to make you feel really depressed, we, I think most of us have a real lack of confidence in our politicians. Some of them are, are amazing. I'm not saying they're all terrible. But as a general sweep, if we look at our government, it's depressing. I was watching the debate on the TV the other day, and I thought, oh, gosh, I wanted to bang their heads together. The way you're talking to each other is just appalling, absolutely appalling. And we, we distrust them, rightly or wrongly. That is kind of the instinct that a lot of us have, isn't it? And then, and then we, we're also distrusting institutions. If you saw the um, Bates versus the post office drama 
on the TV the other day. It was, I was, I could not, I kept saying to Martin, I can't believe this. It's just, you know, I'd heard about it in the news, on, and, but I'd actually, when I heard the story sort of unfolding, you know, the post office, the heart of every community, the place that you go and you entrust your money to, and they help you with your stamps, and they're just kind of good. And yet, at the heart, rotten. People wanting power and just really making terrible judgments which ruined innocent people's lives. Absolutely appalling. And that is our culture that we're living in. And somehow, we, if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, as citizens of the kingdom of God, are called to live in the middle of that and navigate it well. And not just be sort of swayed by what is going on around us, but carry something of the culture of the kingdom into every situation that we find ourselves in. And it's not easy, is it? No, it's not easy. It's tricky. Question to throw out to you just to think about. What culture do you think you carry more of? The culture of the world or the culture of the kingdom? I'm kind of asking myself this question. Do you think you carry more of the culture of the kingdom or more of the culture of the world? Right, we're going to jump into Philippians, which is our sort of core text for this morning. And I'm going to read it. It's quite a lot, but I'm going to read quickly, not because it's not important, but because I've got a lot to I want to say. So here we go. This is Paul talking, and he's just been talking about how, what a brilliant Jew he was and how he got everything right, but that it wasn't enough. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Amen. All of this, all of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if on some point, this is helpful, you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. A word to our politicians. Only let us live up to what we have already attained Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just if you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. As far for as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is part of the kingdom of God. 
our citizenship is that it's not just, we're not just a result of our past or our experiences now. We are a result of who God is. You know who you are when you know whose you are. Like that? I didn't make it up. I got it from somewhere, I don't know. But I love it. You know whose you are. No, you know who you are. Say it right, Rachel. When you know whose you are. According to the Migration Observatory at Oxford Uni, citizenship is a legal status that means a person has a right to live in a state and the state cannot refuse them entry or deport them. Basically, you've got a right to be in the state that grants you citizenship. And nothing and no one, unless you maybe do some, I don't know, terrible crime, can deport you or get rid of you. It, it's yours. You need to own it. You live it. You in it. You enjoy it. And Paul is saying that once you follow Christ, once you're all in and you're committed to him, you have the legal state and position of being a child of God and carrying the kingdom of God and living and existing in the kingdom of heaven. That is your legal right and status. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter if you kind of get it or not. It's yours. You have it. It belongs to you. And what Paul is, is speaking about is something that he's building on where, you know, Jesus talks about this a lot of the time about the kingdom of heaven. And I want to just kind of jump into a little encounter that Jesus has with the Pharisees in, in Mark 12, I think it is. And um, basically what happens, the Pharisees, the religious rulers, really want to trap Jesus. They don't like him. They don't like what he's saying. They don't like what he's preaching. They don't like what he's doing. They want to get rid of him. And so they come up with a really great question to trap Jesus. And they they know that Jesus will worship only God. God is the one true God. But they also know that Caesar and the emperors, Tiberius, they think they're gods. They think that they are divine. And on a Roman coin, it's their image, and it says something like that they're God, that there's a deity attached to them. So they come to Jesus and say, you know, Jesus, who should we pay taxes to? Who should you pay taxes to? You know, should should you give taxes to Caesar, who thinks he's God? Uh uh-uh, or should you not? If you give taxes to God, is that saying that, you know, sorry, to Caesar, are you saying that's God? If you you don't give taxes, then you'll be arrested. So basically, Jesus is caught in between, you know, you say yes, then the followers will be against you because they hate the Romans. If you say no, the Romans will be against you and they'll arrest you because you're not paying your taxes. And Jesus, I don't know if he takes a moment, Jesus was so wise, but I imagine he took a moment, had a little thought, and then he says this, Give to Caesar what is his, and give to God what is his. Give to Caesar what is his, and give to God what is his. It's a perfect answer. And basically, Jesus is saying, we live in two kingdoms. We live in two kingdoms. We live in a kingdom which is around us, run by the government and laws and parliament, and we have to honor them. They are the legitimate rule of the land. You have to do things that the law requires you to do. But actually, you belong to the kingdom of God. Your citizenship is in heaven. God's fingerprints are all over you. He made you. He loves you, like Chris was saying earlier. He is for you, and he has invited you to be a kingdom citizen of his. So you have a double citizenship. We all, if a followers of Jesus, have a double citizenship. We live in the world. We do life. We navigate life. We have to follow the rules and do stuff. We're living in the culture that is a pressure and an influence, but we are also part of the kingdom of God. 
And that is our true identity. That is our first identity. That is the identity that God has bestowed on us, not because of anything we have done. Like Paul would say, not because we're good enough, not because we've tried hard, but through Christ. Through Christ's death on the cross. We've been accepted and welcomed into the family of God. And now we're part of his kingdom. That's good news, isn't it? It's really good. But it's hard. It's hard to live in two kingdoms. It's hard to live in the tension of knowing you belong to one kingdom, but living in another. And it's hard to do that. And historically, Christians have done that in different ways. I think one way is, let's withdraw from the world. Let's just be with other people who are like us and to believe what we believe and follow the rules that we believe we should be following and just keep ourselves pure and away from the, the pollution of the culture around us. And that has been one way that Christians have done that. They sort of hunkered down in, in sort of communities and, and kept the world out. And uh, honestly, I don't think that's what God asks us to do. Sounds a bit like a cult to me. Um, you know, cults do that, don't they? Cults withdraw from the world. They have weird teachings and no one else can get in. It's quite secret. And I'm not saying that if you're doing that, you're part of a cult, by the way. I'm just being flippant. But I don't think Jesus is asking us to withdraw from the world. But that is one way Christians historically have done that. Secondly, I think another way Christians live in these two kingdoms is by actually compromise and blending in. I don't think that's often deliberate. It's not like Christians, you know, we think, oh, yeah, I'm just going to compromise on my beliefs and my faith today. I'm just going to blend in. I just think it happens. It's really hard, isn't it, not to. But there's this sort of cultural shift that kind of pulls us towards it. It's really hard. It's like a magnetic pull to be like the culture around us. And I think Jesus is asking us not to blend in, not to be condemning of everything. Everything's bad out there. Bad news. Everything's bad. There's lots of great things part of our culture. There's lots of great things in the world. There's lots of great things about people who don't follow Jesus. But it's also the dark stuff that attaches itself to us if we let it. And I think Jesus is saying, don't be naive to that stuff. Don't just blend in and compromise. And I think the third way is what Paul is talking about in our passage, and that is being distinctive. Being distinctive in our culture. Being distinctive in how we follow Jesus, in how we live our lives, the choices that we make, how we manage social media, how we absorb the internet, how we debate with people, how we hold our convictions, but also in a loving, kindness way that we treat everyone with dignity because everybody bears the image of God. We are no more image bearers of God than anybody else. And I think Jesus is calling us to be distinctive, but how do we do that? I wanted to throw out three ways that I think can help us to really carry the kingdom of God in a way that will keep us going, will spur us on. And the first one is, I think we need to do life in community with other believers. All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. Paul is saying that we're all in this together. It's, it's an us, not a you. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as your model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. We need small communities of people who know us, who we can do life with. And here we talk about midweek church. We talk about home groups. We talk about pastorates. 
We talk about prayer triplets. We talk about being known and loved by others who can cheer us on and spur us on and keep us accountable and say, oh, Rachel, you responded not great in that situation. What, you know, what's going on under the surface? You know, are you in a bit of a bad place at the moment? Or, I'm in a bit of a bad place at the moment. Please pray for me. I'm finding life a struggle. Who knows you like that? Who can speak into your life like that? Who can encourage you and cheer you on and say, look, I know it's really hard right now, but, you know, God is with you. I'm going to pray for you every day this week. I'm going to phone you up and keep you accountable. I'm going to send you a Bible verse. I'm going to bake you a cake. I'm going to bring you flowers or whatever it is. I'm going to, what do guys like? I don't know. Buy you a football shirt or something. That's so set. I'm so set. I can't believe I said that. Forgive me. Please don't let that offend you. But do you know what I mean? Who is known by you? We're not meant to be kingdom carriers in isolation. And in fact, we cannot do that. So if you're part of this community and you're not connecting in any other way other than just being kind of coming on a Sunday, well, God bless you for that. We're so glad you're here. But can I encourage you to think about connecting in a bit deeper? And if you want to be part of a midweek group, if you want to get connected in a deeper way, come find me, email me, or Tim, or any of the leaders here. We would love to help you. Secondly, a way to live the distinctive third way by standing out is by pressing on. I love the look on this lady's face. You may think she's grimacing, but she's actually smiling. She's smiling. Sorry, guys, our projector screen's broken. I'm sorry you can't see it. But basically, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Now, the prize is knowing Jesus and being known by Jesus. We already have the prize. That is the prize. It's amazing to be known by Jesus, to be loved by him. But we need to press on to take hold of what is already ours. And how do we do that? We do that by knowing the word of God, by knowing this book, by getting to grips with it. This book is like a gold mine. You know, I've been reading it since I was probably could read, and I'm now quite old. My secret of my age will stay with me. But that is this book it has sustained me through the highest points of my life and the lowest points of my life. We cannot get through life by just doing church on a Sunday and not engaging with this book. Honestly, we can't. It's, I don't think it's possible. I mean, it is possible you can do it, but it's not going to enrich your soul and feed your mind and gird you with what you need to press on. So getting to grips with the word, surrendering your life to God, being prayerful, growing in your prayer life, not, staying, not standing still with it. That is how we press on, being known by God, being loved by God, experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, welcoming his presence to soften our hearts. Our hearts get so tough and knobbly and gristly and hard. Every time we welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit, it softens us, and we need to live from that place, not this place, with fists. The third thing we need to do is to own our identity let us live up to what we have already attained. We don't have to try to be a citizen of the kingdom. We don't have to kind of be really good to be a citizen of the kingdom. We've already attained it, Paul says. We have this. We belong in the kingdom of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've committed your life to him, if you've welcomed him into your life, 
You are a citizen of the kingdom of God. You might not understand it. It might be tricky to get your head around because it is. But it's who you are. Own it, guys. Own the identity. Have a little bit of a, you know, what's that called? I don't know. Swagger. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Tim knows how to swagger. Have a bit of swagger about it. Not in an offensive, annoying way, but in a kind of like, yes, I am part of the kingdom of God. I belong here. My name's written in the book of life. Jesus loves me. I'm in my workplace on Tuesday morning, and it's really hard, but it's okay because I'm part of the kingdom of God. He has placed me here to be his kingdom carrier in this place. I'm not sure how to do it, and it's hard, but I know I'm here for a reason. Own it, guys. Know it. My dad, see the little light swagger? My dad, um, when he was alive, lived in the village and he would often wear a high-vis jacket because he, would, he loved to walk and he would walk, he'd walk the lanes. But if you wear a high-vis jacket, people think you know stuff. <laughs> and they were all, he was always being stopped and asked things. Oh, um, excuse me, uh, would you know that? Like, and he was just like, yeah, it happened again. I was out in the village and someone thought I was like the mayor or something. I don't know. And, um, but it's true. Put on a high-vis one day, people stop and look at you and ask stuff. And I've got one in my car, I slip, I slip it on sometimes. When I want a trolley at Tesco's and I get, get my high-vis on. Not really. But what I'm, what I'm saying is, wear a metaphorical high-vis jacket. And know that the high-vis jacket you are wearing is the kingdom of God high-vis jacket. Which means that wherever you are, you're a minister and God has put you there and he wants to do something in you and through you. And that's not in a kind of uh, brash, kind of superior way. Oh, no. Jesus came to serve, didn't he? He came to serve. He came to love. He came to get down really low. And that's what he asked us to do. So the swagger, guys, is an inside swagger, not an outside swagger. Externally, we go in humility, we go in love, but we go knowing that Jesus has chosen us to do that. I'm, I'm going to finish, but I just want to finish by sharing a bit of a prophetic word that I think the Lord gave me during prayer week, and I've shared it at the 8 o'clock, I shared it at the 9.15, and I'm going to share it with you guys. And so, you know, we've been weighing it up as a leadership team here at Woody's, and um, I'm just offering it to you, because I think there's a bit of resonance in what, and connection in what I'm saying this morning. And I was at a conference for a few days during prayer week, and someone shared a dream that they had had at this, while um, at the conference. And No, they had it before they came, but they shared it at the conference. And basically, he'd been asleep, and he had this really, really vivid dream where he realized that the front door of his house had been left open during the night. And in the dream, he was really concerned because there were intruders and people trying to come into his house and he was aware that his children were asleep in bed and his wife was asleep in bed next to him. He woke up from the dream, literally dashed downstairs because he felt like God was telling him that someone had left the door open, got to the front door and realized it was shut. And the front door was shut and locked as it should be. And as he turned around to come back up the stairs, he felt the Holy Spirit speak to him and say, you've got to shut the door metaphorically on things that you are letting in to your life and your church. And you need to shut the door and keep that stuff out. And there was a lot of resonance in the room as he shared this. And um, 
that was on the Thursday. I went home, I got home for the weekend. On Saturday night, two of my adult, I stress adult, sons were out um, socialising with their friends. One of them came in at midnight. I was tucked up in bed, I didn't know, but one of them came in at midnight. And then as I got up the next morning at 7am to get ready for church, I met my other son coming in. He's 24. He'd been out... um, DJing, and then went back to a friend's house, and then came back. Anyway, we met on the stairs. He said, Mum, the front door was wide open. I was like, what? He said, the front door was wide open. I was like, seriously? He's like, yeah. Son number, I won't tell you which one it was, one of the other sons had left the door wide open. Or maybe he thought he'd shut it. You know, you know how you kind of just push it, and it didn't shut? He said, yeah, Mum, it was wide open. I was so annoyed. I was like, oh, my laptop, my handbag, blah, blah, the dogs. No one's going to want the dogs. And... Um, and then, and then, after I got over my initial annoyance, I remembered the guy's dream. And I just felt, again, the Lord wanted to speak to me through the, through the door that should have been shut. And I just said, God, you know, is this you speaking to me through this? And as the day went on, it was a Sunday, I just felt a deepening resonance that God was saying, Rachel, you need to shut the door on anything that is coming into your house, your life, that needs to be kept out. And also, it wasn't just for me. I felt it was a word for the church, which is why I've been sharing it. That we, as Jesus followers, need to shut the door on the things in our lives that are compromising our devotion to Jesus. And I felt it was a bit around carelessness. And I think if anything kind of comes to us from our culture, it's carelessness. Carelessness with the internet. Carelessness with the culture and its influences. Carelessness with our sexuality. Carelessness with the choices that we make. And I think there's, there's a, a word of encouragement slash kind of warning that we need to shut the door on some stuff and keep out the influences that shouldn't be allowed in. And uh, as I prayed, I said to God, how do I do that? How do we do that? I mean, obviously, if you're doing bad stuff, stop doing it. You know, don't do it. Easier said than done. And I just felt him say, be more devoted to Jesus than anything else. Be more devoted to Jesus than anything else. Let him have your devotion. Put him first. Surrender to him higher than money, sex, relationships, choices, Social media, Instagram, have Jesus above it all. Then you'll shut the door because you'll love him more than anything else and your appetites will be filled by him than the other things that we, we grab hold of to fill our appetites. And I felt like the message was not a judgment on us. It was a kindness of God to us. That it wasn't like God wagging his finger and saying, bad church. He was saying, hey, I love you, church. Be more devoted to me than anything else. Be more devoted to me than anything else. And that's where I'm going to finish. I want, you know, I issue that and share that with you for you to weigh and pray about and consider before the Lord personally as we have been doing as a leadership team. Maybe if the worship band want to come up. But let's just take a moment to be quiet 
and to maybe close our eyes. And I'm going to ask you that question again. What is influencing you more? The kingdom of God and your citizenship or the culture around you and its influences and its pull and its draw, which is so strong? And honestly, for myself, I know that sometimes I'm too influenced by the culture around me. I know. I don't need to go away and do lots of self-examination about that. I, I know it's true. And it's probably true for all of us. What do you need to shut the door on? What might God be asking you to say, no, enough of that? Holy Spirit, we welcome, again, your presence. We know your presence is here. We've experienced you in worship. We've experienced you in this service. We invite you to yeah, lead us to an application from this message personally. Whether we've let the, too much of the culture in our lives, I pray that you'd show us what it looks like to say no, enough. Where we have compromised on our devotion to you and looked to satisfy our appetites in other areas. God, give us the courage to share with someone else where we need help. Your grace and your mercy never runs out. It is over us. You, you don't wish to condemn us. You wish us to grow up into fully-fledged citizens of your kingdom who carry that kingdom swagger into wherever you lead us. Yeah, Holy Spirit, cement what you're saying into our hearts and minds as we leave this place. Help us to grow up into you. In Jesus' name, amen.